Welcome, guys, to our YouTube channel. Well, today's show is Cousin Betsy Money Mondays, where we are focused on raising capital and investing with purpose. So whether you are a new investor or an experienced investor or even looking to start a business, understanding the art of raising private capital is crucial in today's competitive landscape. So join us as we navigate the complex realm of attracting investors, securing funding, and building meaningful relationships that fuel your business growth. Welcome, guys, to another episode of Money Mondays. I'm your host, Kalisha, and I have my co-host, Betsy Rolas. Hey. This episode is going to be amazing. But before we even give you guys like a whole breakdown, what we've got in store, or whatever announcement we have, news, recap, let's get into our disclaimer. Yes, everyone, for all our listeners, this the following information is for educational purposes only. Please do your own due diligence. We do not provide financial, legal, or professional advice. We do our best. Every case is different. And please go to the professionals. If you guys need someone, let us know. We're building a list for you guys. And we bring them on the show, which is amazing, you know. I just love learning from them. We are going to have a tax specialist on here in a couple weeks, and uh, we'll be advertising that. So I'm really, really excited to get all of that and just to provide more value to you guys. Yes, and like um, I think we did like a pre, just a synopsis of that episode. So we're gonna give you guys like a little sneak peek, but yeah, we'll like <laughs> shout out to all our subscribers. Like you guys are amazing for persons who are always watching the videos, commenting, asking us stuff. Like thank you so much. Uh, for persons who are listening, like y'all are listening to our podcast on Apple Apple Podcasts a lot. So shout out to 700 um, listens. I can't say views because they're not views, but yeah. You guys are crushing it. Um, We appreciate you guys. And if you're new here to Money Mondays, new to our YouTube channel or podcast, everything, welcome. And we're so happy to have you here. Hope that you learned something today. Um, It's all about raising private capital and we try to bring on different guests, um, other investors, so they can share how they're using private capital to grow and scale their business. So without men, y'all are like in on time today. I love it. Um, So let's dive in and invite our guest today. We're talking about mastering the art of negotiating when it comes on to real estate investing, particularly when raising private capital. Now, this guest that we have today, he's a real estate investor. He's a small business owner. He's also a private money lender. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's everything. He's like, he's wearing, you know, when they say like, as a a business owner, you wear all the hats. Well, he is wearing all the hats. Uh, Let's welcome Wesley What's, What's up? up, Betsy, Kalisha? How are you guys? Thanks so much for having me. Man, Thank you for being like, here. He just went into relax mode. He's like, "Yep, it's about to go down. I'm chill. I'm ready to go." <laughs> Wearing all the hats. 
We're not happy. <laughs> and look at no. that view. I mean, I'm so jealous. I don't know if you guys could hear, but there's a thunderstorm here. So I'm, I'm very jealous of the sun that you're getting. I know it's hot, though. <laughs> it's only... It's only 103 today. This is pretty nice. <laughs> only 103. And I know I will be dying if this wasn't exciting. You're good. You're like so good, man. But oh, for those who don't know, Wes is also in Arizona. So he's that's why he's crazy. He's outside. Yeah. He's and he's like showcasing oh, those cactuses outside or cacti. Yes. Man, no. There we go. <laughs> But we're so happy to have you here. We know that you are, you have a ton of experience. And I know we've met each other like less than a year through the amazing community that we're all a part of, Sub 2 by Peace Morby. And that's literally how we met. Because um, I met you at Golden Ticket last year. And I think we just we just started talking after the event. And it just instant connection. Um, even went into going on Zooms talking about how we can do buy self-storage businesses. And that's when I was completely new. And I was like, Wesley's like ready to give. He's a good connector. He's like amazing. So we're like, you know what? We have to have this person on our team. Oh, like, well, thank you. Have to, have to. So guys, we will be having a question. Um, if you have questions for Leslie, uh, Wesley, be sure to put it in the chat and let us know your comments and we will ask Wesley and get all your questions answers. So yes. to dive right in, like, tell us who is Wesley? How did your how did you turn into going to private money lending, buying businesses, and all that stuff? So it uh, actually started 22 years ago. So I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I was a uh, 911 dispatcher. Um, it was a good job. It had it for a little while. My dad was a contractor who was building some houses, and I was also a drummer growing up. Played for some from for some bands, some heavier music. And um, I had just tried out for a like pretty well-known metal band and I got offered the drumming spot. And like they were going on tour on like um, Warp Tour, if anybody knows what that is, or OzFest, which was with Ozzy Osbourne. So it was a big opportunity for me. And at the same time, thankfully, my amazing parents said, hey, you could do this or <clears throat> you could buy a house. Like you're 19, you're in the position to buy one of these houses that your dad is building. I got to pick the house on the street and everything, right? And so for me as a 19 year old, it's really hard to make a decision to like go follow my dream of being a drummer for a big metal band or like buy a house and like have a mortgage and, you know, but I also knew, I knew, I knew my path was on to becoming a police officer. That was my whole goal when I was younger. I had some events that happened that made me be like, I want to go out there and help people. I want to be a police officer, right? And so Luckily, my parents talked to me like, hey, buying a house at 19 is going to set your future up like really positively. So you should really do this and you can stay local and play in bands locally. And so that's the choice I made, which at the time I didn't know what I was doing, but I was house hacking. You know, I bought the house. I rented the rooms. I had, you know, roommates and family live with me. And then I repeated this cycle. And, you know, that's that's how I kind of made money in real estate in California. Um had some, you know, amazing family members that helped out at times and have done some amazing things to, to, to catapult us forward. Because like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing. Like, I really didn't know what I was doing until like maybe like two or three years ago. Yeah. And so, you know, if I think back, I'm like, gosh, if I knew what I was doing 22 years ago, I'm like, kids, just start, just start and do something now. Because in 22 years, you'll be looking back wishing you did something, right? Um, however, I am very fortunate and I've had a lot of success. And 
all of that came from taking action, right? And so essentially what happened is I got hurt when I was a detective and I knew that I was going to be forced to, to retire. And so um, I had to start looking at different avenues to make more money because the disability pension was, was something. It was a nice floor, but it was not going to take care of my family forever. And I have a duty to my family to make sure we're taken care of, right? So I started digging back into what I made money on in the first place, which was real estate. So um, we had been private money lending through a broker for a long time, for like the last 10 years. Um, so I knew a bit about it. I just didn't know what I know now. And essentially, I dug into a ton of education um, for the last three years, but I wasn't taking a lot of action. And, you know, what do they say? Education without action is just entertainment, right? So that's where I was. Uh, thankfully, we chose to move to Arizona. I didn't, I knew who Pace Morby was, but I didn't really know much about him. Creative finance scared me, right? Because it was the unknown. Uh, moved to Arizona, had the chance to go to some conferences locally here, went to one in Scottsdale, met Pace, heard him speak. It blew my mind. Went to another event in Idaho the week after that. Um, got to hear Pace speak again and actually talk with him for a while. And I was like, I'm going to try this creative finance stuff out. And so I ended up just joining sub two on the spot. And I was June of 2022. And what I did was since I had been experienced with lending, I was like, let's just go, let's just go right back into what I know. Right. So I started finding money lending on as many things as I could. I have done so many lends in the last year. <laughs> I've lost track, honestly, thankfully, this visionary brain has an amazing wife who's an attorney who's more of like an integrator and she helped me keep on track because there was times where I forgot. I was like, oh, I had this much money out to someone. I knew I was getting paid, but like I kind of forgot about it and like very scatterbrained, visionary style. And not to use that as an excuse, you know, I could be doing better and I should be doing better and I'm improving. But yeah. um, I essentially just started taking action and doing, trying to get into every single deal I could, whether it was, you know, a, a wrap, a private money lender on a long term, a short term. I bought into syndications. I, you know, I just, I just did everything. I bought flips to do fix and flips with partners. Um, shout out to Ingrid Hernandez from SEPTU because Ingrid, Ingrid was my very first deal. And I called her right when I joined SEPTU because I could tell she was a leader in the group. And I said, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I have. Here's what I need. And she called me back five minutes later and said, hey, do you want to do a fix and flip with me? Because I'd never done a fix and flip before. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, yeah, heck yeah. So she brought me in. You know, I, lended on, I ended up lending on the whole deal, both purchase and rehab, and um, got to go experience it and, you know, learn a ton. And uh, got to work with Anna Martinez's um, uh, construction crew to, to, to flip that house. And, you know, it was during like a changing market, but we still did well. And that was just the kickoff. And it's just been chaos for the last year since then. Um, but in the best possible way, because taking so much action forced me to learn so much. And I made so many mistakes along the way. Luckily, haven't made any mistake that has like, um, like crippled me in my investing, right? Like I've had some mistakes that I made. I'll knock on wood for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here's, here's what I found is I watched other people making mistakes and then I learned from that as well. And I, I have, I don't know, I think my brain works a little bit differently. Like being a detective for a long time, I think about things that sometimes people don't think about. And so I really kind of shifted into my way of providing value to the community is to try to help other people lend securely, safely, and within their risk tolerance and to like not lose money. Like that's my goal is to make sure you don't lose money, right? <laughs> like that's what I do. I, um, I have met with probably 
50 to 60 people who want to be private money lenders in the, in the mentorship in the last probably six to eight months. And it's always around, you know, here's the 15 different types of deals you could lend on. Here's your risk assessment. Here's how you underwrite the deal. Here's how you underwrite the actual borrower. Like there's so much involved that goes into this. And I could talk, if you don't stop me, by the way, I will talk for the whole hour. You are talking and I'm like, I have a sticky pad because we have our outline, but I'm like putting stuff down where I want you to go back and touch on because there's some. Okay. Okay, good. You prompt me when you have a question, if anybody else has a question, uh, but I'll, I'll wrap this up with um, that. Taking all that action essentially helped me move from trying to figure out what I wanted to do into massive clarity of exactly what I want to do and what I don't want to do, which I think is equally as important as to figure out what you don't want to waste time on versus what you do want to put time and effort into. And mm -hmm. so for me, I am, I'm an, I am an investor. My role is to put my money places to make it grow. I have a risk tolerance that other people might not have. So I'm also buying businesses, also doing some angel investing into startup businesses. And that's, you know, uber risky. I'm essentially, every penny I put into that, I'm assuming is going to be gone, but I'm only allocating, you know, maybe 10% of my money to that. Um, and here's the thing is, even though I was a lender and I knew how private money lending worked and I know a bunch of other people with money, I was still using my own money for my own real estate as well. And then <laughs> something clicked a little while back. Um, uh, more shout outs. Pace Morby, Abraham Gray, Carl Allen. Those three gentlemen, hugely, in, huge impact on my mindset, my goals, um, where I've kind of, tra the trajectory of my life and my business have gone. Because Abraham opened my eyes to business acquisition. Then Carl Allen, who, you know, works with Abraham and was Abraham's mentor. Uh, I joined his mentorship. And so this has grown so much in the last year that now a majority of my capital, instead of using all my own real estate, is going towards acquiring businesses and investing for equity in businesses. I still have other, other left that I use to lend on as well. But then I'm like, hey, even though I'm a lender, and Pace has said this for a year, every single, I, I, every time I talk to him, he says the same thing. Like, why are you using your own money? Why are you not getting your own private money lender? And it's true. You should not be using your own money in your real estate. There's so many people that have money that want to invest, that want to make double-digit returns on their money that's sitting in a bank account that's backed by a physical asset, right? Not everybody wants to invest in a business because there's more risk involved. Exactly. Where I am on my risk ladder, uh, my risk ladder, you know, say it's a one through 10, like I'm at like a nine and a half. Like I'm pretty up there. I'm like, I have a safe floor. I am down to put money into startups and lose it, right? Because that's just where I'm at in my journey. Um and obviously not everybody's there. And, and some people who want to be really passive just want to put their money places where it's secured, tied to an asset. I just really hopefully hope they know kind of, you know, the legal recourse that might have to happen if you get to that point. Um, and that's something else we could talk about here. But I'm going to stop there because it's been 15 minutes and I've been talking about stuff. Good. Like you're, you're literally like in your summary, you touch on every little thing that we're even going to ask you to go deeper on but one of the things that you mentioned that you started private lending through a broker deal. And I know for a lot of persons, it's like, how do I know when to start? How do I know which deal is going to be my first deal? So for a lot of persons, the, the, the hardest thing is taking that first step. Like, how did you know that this deal is going to be the first deal I should lend? So it all started with someone else just bringing up the idea of it. Because I had a lot of, you know, I had capital sitting in the bank doing not what? Nothing. Losing to inflation, right? 
you know, even 10 years ago, it's sitting in a savings account. Like, what's the point? It's, it's insane. Now where I'm at, I'm like, if you have money in the bank account, in the bank account, what the heck are you doing? Like, it's crazy. So now caveat to that is people like to have, you know, and this is for everybody to decide, but like people like to have emergency funds for things, right? Like say the worst case scenario, like the AC on your house in Arizona goes back 10, $15,000, right? Your car breaks down, needs a full engine rebuild, or you have to get a new car. Like there's things you should account for. And I know there's a lot of money gurus that say you should have three months, six months, 12 months, emergency funds, whatever. That's up for you to decide. So if you have met your threshold of whatever you're comfortable with for your emergency funds, I think anything on top of that is just being wasted sitting in a bank account. Mm -hmm. So that was where I was. And someone had mentioned it to me. It was actually my mother-in-law. Shout out to my mother-in-law. She was like, hey, we have this friend. He's a hard money lender broker. Uh, he lends on flips in Arizona, of all places, because I was still in California at this time. And uh, it was like, well, we have this money sitting here doing nothing. And I'm not the biggest fan of the stock market. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of really any retirement account that's backed by the government and or has fees and taxes attached. And we, that's a whole other topic I would go off on for an hour, so I won't touch that. But... It's just food for thought, right? Um, I can make significantly more money, private money lending through real estate where it's actually backed by a physical asset. So my risk is, you know, lowered a little bit. Um, and that was it. It just took one person kind of mentioning the idea like, hey, are you interested in putting your money to work somewhere that's pretty safe and getting like 10%? It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Heck yeah, I am. And then the thing is too, is like you you get into that deal of lending, but then you're like, okay, because you mentioned that you do this a little, well, you do this for every deal. How do you evaluate that borrower to determine that this is someone that I want to lend to? So this could be a long answer as well, but I'm going to try to keep it a little short. <laughs> I am going to vet the borrower probably more than the deal itself. Mm -hmm. Um, there are plenty of deals that are really great on paper, but then when the borrower um, defaults or stops operating like they're supposed to, that's where you run into trouble, right? And that happens a lot. And actually, most of the time of the deals that have gone bad, it's been the operator just failing and not the deal itself. Like the deal still looked great on the front end. Like everything looked great on the front end. And like I have an example of like someone I know who lent on a fix and flip and it was great numbers, great comps. You know, the rehab budget was reasonable. There was a hard money lender on it. This person came in in second position as a PML to fund the gap and then also some additional rehab. And the contractor just stopped working. And that was the risk. And the contractor was the borrower too. So the contractor stopped doing work and ghosted everybody for three months. So like, that's why I'm saying the actual borrower needs to be vetted and make sure that you stay on top of them. And that's just one example of a fix and flip. Like you need to make sure your operator, your project manager, your contractor, whoever you're lending the money to, whoever's doing the work, you need to have weekly check-ins with that on a fix and flip. It's weekly for me. I would accept nothing less. If you're not reaching out to me weekly, we have a problem and I'm probably going to come find you. And I mean that in like a professional way. I'm not going to come find you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so that's, that's, that's a really big part of it. But of course the deal matters as well, because like, I may not be wanting to lend on something that's like a complete no equity deal. If the operator has, doesn't have a tremendous reputation, right? Cause then how's my money secured? Well, it's not unless they cross collateral, cross collateralize it. I can't talk. You know what I'm trying to say. During the cloud, we do. 
Um, you know, if you have another property that has, you know, a certain amount of equity and can I have my numbers for how much I'm willing to lend and have equity cushions on properties and all that. But um, that's why going back to the operator matters almost more than a deal because I want to make sure they're going to perform because they are the one who can ruin a deal more so than the deal. Though. So um, for me, I start with number one, has this person ever borrowed money before? That's, that's checklist number one. If they've never borrowed private money before, I am not going to lend to them. That's me. Okay. Yeah. Um, so people then say to me like, well, if you won't lend to me as a PML, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to do my first deal? Well, go to a local meetup and find someone who wants to be your partner. Have some come in as a capital partner who has some sort of control in the deal in case you default, they can come in and take over, right? It mitigates your risk to be able to have some sort of control in it. Or how about you go talk to family and friends who know you and trust you. Get your mother, your uncle, your grandfather, get them to lend to you for your first deal. Establish some sort of credibility. Then go through with that deal and do what you're supposed to be doing. Perform, exit it, however the exit, whether it's a long-term rental, short-term rental, all the different exits we have, a flip. Prove, give proof of concept to someone for the next time you want to ask for money, right? Um, but I think that's where a lot of people kind of get get held up when they talk to me for the first time. I'm like, hey, have you ever borrowed it? No, okay, well, I'm not going to lend to you. But I can give you ideas on how to find money, right? And like, or if you want, potentially, I can come on as a partner. The problem is that when someone comes on a oh, problem, problem is that if I come on as a partner, I'm going to want more of the pie than just as a PML rate, right? But it's mitigating my risk, and I have to assess that risk. And this is the way I mitigate it is by having a little bit more. So it's worth my time. It's worth my risk and having some sort of control. Um, reputation of the person matters. Um, you can, you know, do a really quick open source search on anybody and see kind of, you know, like I had someone who came to me for money. And when I searched them just on Facebook, their Facebook was littered with a bunch of like crazy political stuff. And like, I don't care what side of politics you're on. Like is, if I can make money off it, cool. And if it's not hurting people, cool. That's how I look at it. Right. So this person was <laughs> arguing with strangers all day long on the internet why aren't you doing work why aren't you do like you have people's money why are you not going out and doing the dang job that you borrowed money to do so that to me was like i have never given this person money they are wasting time like that is not an entrepreneurial mindset that is not an investor mindset to be on the internet arguing with people like if you do that like get out like i don't even want to talk to you that's like crazy um of course past projects if they can show you proof of what they're they've completed and then this is the one where i get i kind of get like a maybe like a 50 percent like shocked rate when i ask this i say who was your last private money lender yeah. and they would be like uh oh, i don't want to share that i'm like okay bye <laughs> like i want to talk to your past private money lenders and no did you pay on time did you balloon them out at the end of the term was there a renegotiation on terms did you have to extend which is fine like that happens Life happens, but this is a business. Private money lending, you know, the private part of it should still be treated as a business and a professional transaction, right? Like it's not, um, it's not so transaction-based, like if you were to go to like a lender at a bank, because it's more personal, right? Like if I get approached, if someone just messages me and says, hey, I need money, I'm like, uh, okay, like let's work on your, let's work on your delivery a little more here. Yes. <laughs> We've got um, those too. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's I want them to to share with me who their past lenders were so I can it's just vetting them. It's just due diligence. Like think of me as a 
as a bank lender, but a lot less due diligence. Like the bank's going to put way more scrutiny on like your personal income statements and all that stuff. Like that doesn't matter. It yeah. doesn't matter. Right. But if you've done three fix and flips and they've, they've all come to fruition and you have like a similar, like stuff comes up, like it's, it happens. Like if you need to extend a flip loan three months because you got shut down for a, like a permit that didn't get pulled, like, okay, cool. We just rework our contract. Yeah. If you get shut down, then you don't communicate with your lender. And then I go talk to that lender and they said, well, there were some issues that came up, blah, blah, blah. I'm probably not going to lend to you. Right. Yeah. And there's, there's so much more we can get into this, but um, I also you really like to kind of get like reputation. Yeah. It's all relationship and reputation. And so if you, you know, if you do someone over dirty, <laughs> if you do them wrong, unprofessional, yeah. that's the thing is like, everybody has to start somewhere, but you have to be able to show that you can do it with some sort of level of professionalism. And like, you know, if it's amateur hour across the board, you're going to have a hard time getting money. And rightfully so you should not be risking someone else's capital. You should never risk someone else's capital for something you don't know what you're doing. Right. Like that's just crazy to me. That's ridiculous. And so that's why I focus hard on trying to make sure people lend safely and, you know, look at all the nuance um, within every type of deal there is, right? Because every single deal has a different something else to consider, whether it's the operator or the deal itself, the type of exit strategy they have, the contingency plan, the contract, like yeah. there's so much involved, yeah. so much more involved than you can just get from, you know, uh, one, you know, Zoom that talks a little bit about private money, like lend safe. Okay, well, what does lend safe mean? Like, let's yeah. get, let's dig into it deeper, right? And then even with that too, like you, you mentioned something and, about your risk assessment. And I think we've spoken a lot about it. And even when we're vetting more private money lenders too, who are working with us, we try to get an understanding, like what is your risk tolerance? And a lot of times we find yeah. that people don't know. And that's sometimes they're new. Sometimes even experienced investors don't even know what their risk tolerance is. What guide would you help for that potential private money lender to figure out what their risk tolerance is? So I start with this one question. If whatever you're about to lend, you lost every penny of it, how would that impact your life? Boom. Yep. That's a good question. If you can tolerate losing every penny that you put into this deal, mm -hmm. now nobody wants to lose money, right? And it, I think it's Warren Buffett's quote of like, what's the rule number one of investing? Don't lose money. What's rule number two? Follow rule number one, right? And and so you don't want to lose money, of course. Like if if I view capital as a tool. Like the money that I have is not the money I'm going to live off of. I'm going to leverage it into cash flow that then you live off of, right? Same, same thing you pay for things. Like I still drive a 2012 Hyundai Elantra that like doesn't run that well because I don't, why, I, it just gets me from point A to B. It doesn't make me money. So if I like want to buy myself like a truck one day, like when I get to a certain success level, I'm going to invest that money to yield the cash flow to then pay for the truck. I'm not going to pay for it with my capital, right? So- <laughs> If you are relying on capital as your livelihood, then you probably shouldn't be lending, number one. Number two, if it were to all go, all go away on this one deal, how would you be sitting? Would you be okay? Like, can, and, number, and number three, is it going to stop you from investing more? If you get a bad deal on your first one, and unfortunately it happens, is that going to stop you from investing? Because when you stop and you quit is when you really lose. Yeah. And um, those are where I start with people. And that kind of makes them start thinking a little bit differently about it. Um, and then, you know, kind of go from there, like kind of up, like the risk ladder, like this is what could go wrong. And this is how you, you know, 
approach it after that. And like, this could go wrong. This is how you approach it. You know, worst case scenario is someone doesn't pay you back and you have to foreclose on a property. If you're in second lien position, you know, common law in the country is, you know, first in time, first in right. And so if you have a lien that's in first position, they're going to get the priority. They're going to get paid back before you through the, through the courts, right? And if you have to go that way, if you're in second position, you're going to get paid back second. God forbid you're in third position, third, fourth, fifth. Don't, don't do that. Um, you're probably never going to get your money back if everything goes wrong, right? So invest with people who have experience. Invest with people who have a good reputation. Invest with people who like are able to pitch a deal to you with some level of competence. That's also big. And you can tell a lot. You can tell a lot by the way someone pitches a deal to you, um, like their level of understanding. And like just asking a couple questions on it. Like if they don't have if they don't have an answer, it's okay because not everybody knows, not everybody knows something, not everybody knows everything, right? Like you all gotta learn. Like I, I still tell people when I see them at meetups, they're like, hey, oh Wes, I saw you on YouTube. I'm like, cool. I still don't know what I'm doing. I just know a little bit about this one topic and I can help you here. But like I rely on other people all the time for, for their knowledge. I don't want to know everything. But there's people out there who can help you know a little bit more about something you're trying to work on, right? And so um, I lost track of where I was going with that. So I'm going to stop there. <laughs> we do have a few questions if you want to answer them. There was sure. one where someone asked about pitching deals too. Okay, hold on. Um, Let's go from the beginning, I guess. What's the return? What's returns are PML wanting for short term and for long term? So this is the classic response that everybody hates. It depends, but really it's subjective to the individual lender, right? Like if I, I get approached, I personally get approached all day long for like 15%, which is a really high rate. And I'm like, whoa, that's cool. I mean, like it makes me more interested, but are they offering 15% because there's more risk involved? Right? Oh my God. Yes. So yeah. Short term, I don't have a good answer for short term because I am not, I'm not like a gator lender. I've done some transaction lending. I've done some loan sponsoring, but short term, I usually, it's usually private money, long term, you know, anywhere between three to 12 months that I have, you know, a lot of experience on lending with. So that's, that's kind of like my sweet spot. So I don't want to speak to short term, but for long term, I see, you know, people offer 10, 12 15%. Sometimes people get on and offer 20%, which is a whole nother thing you have to talk about because guess what? There's usury laws in each state and you can get in trouble at, at being a loan shark for lending at such a high rate. I actually have a personal friend who I will not name who is going through a foreclosure process with a person who defaulted. Well, that person is counter suing him for usury laws because they offered him 20% well, guess what? This was their this was their fraud the whole time. They were gonna get you to lend at twenty percent, and then default, and then sue you for predatory lending, right? So, I mean, now listen, that's my opinion that they did this. That's my opinion because they defaulted okay. at two people at the same time, two very very big, well known people in our community. They defaulted to both of them, so I think that's probably what their exit was was fraud. Um, and now he's like oh gosh, I have to hire my own attorney and try to argue that this was a contract and not an actual lend. And it gets really messy. So you have to be careful when you are offered at 20%, like, hey, you know what? Why don't we bring it to like 12 plus like a 10% of profit share, right? Mm -hmm. Get a separate contract. So your lending contract is not in the usury law. 
You're not going to get sued. You're not going to have some unfortunate fraudster that comes in and borrows money from you with the intent of defaulting and suing you, right? Like there's a lot to consider. People don't talk about this stuff. Yes. And it's, it's fun, like that, especially now in Florida, they're, they're super strict with that in Florida. And we try to talk to our attorney, just figure out different ways how to structure it. We've done one here in Florida too, where instead of doing interest, we just call it a loan fee. But then that is paid at the end of the term. Or you can do it where you do a percentage of the, the amount and then you do a finder's fee the next portion of it. Like you can get so creative with it. But again, talk to an attorney. Creative. You can be so creative. There's so many creative ways to, to get around certain issues. And luckily for me, my wife is a contracts attorney. She's like a total total rock star like a lot of attorneys i talked to are totally incompetent nerds who don't really know anything other than protect every penny of their client right and they just ruin everything for everybody else but my wife's actually a good attorney and so she really can kind of help with you know contract talks and wording and the way you get around things and my gosh i've learned so much from her like a lot of the stuff i'm speaking on right now like has been experience and discussions with her and other attorneys that know what they're doing and other lenders and I mean, like a, a year ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Like this is all, this is um, stuff I've learned and I've implemented in the last year, just from taking a ton of action, right? Mm-hmm. Next question is, what's the difference between flat fee and simple fee, please? Hmm. Well, flat fee would be a negotiated, now I'm not sure what this is in relation to, but a flat fee would be a flat certain fee. Like, hey, I will do this thing for you for $100 flat fee. Yeah. Be simple. I think maybe they're asking about simple interest. If they're asking simple interest, then that is essentially an annualized return. So say you, you know, you lend a hundred thousand dollars or you borrow a hundred thousand dollars at 12%, 12% annualized over the year would be $12,000, which would yeah. be $1,000 a month. That is simple interest. And maybe that's the question. Um, and I think flat fee kind of comes into play with Gator stuff. Like, hey, I'll lend you 5,000 EMD and you're going to pay you know, my money plus $2,500 when you get your whole, your assignment fee. I think maybe maybe that's where that question is. Yeah. Yep. So, Rita, if okay. it's, it's not clear, you can access another question in the chat too. Yes. Rafael asks, how would you pitch a deal to a PML? Yeah, so I would... Get to know them first and not just approach with, hey, I need money, like we talked about. Um, I like to make, now listen, now I'm at the point where I am using other people's money too. So I'm doing the same thing, right? Like I'm going to build a rapport with someone. It's all relationship-based, private money letter, right? Think of it like friends, family, fellow investor, lenders. I'm going to develop a rapport with someone before I even do that. But then if you want to just get to like the actual meat and potatoes of it, like have some sort of pitch deck. Like I get pitched right now. I'm getting pitched a ton of businesses to invest in for equity. And I had one to come across my table. That was like a broker printout of some numbers and like tax returns. And like, I do want to see that stuff, my due diligence, but it was just so like, yeah, <laughs> like, I don't want to look at this. Like now you don't have to make it pretty, but give me like, at least like a one sheet, like a one sheet that just has all the information, like, you know, the picture of the house, um, what you're requesting to borrow, what rate you're requesting, you know, to borrow at, um, what your exit strategy is, what your experience is. Like, it doesn't have to be crazy detailed. Excuse me. Some people build like a whole pitch deck out and like that is another great step to do. But just show me that you've put some work into asking me for my money. 
Yeah. Like the money that I took 20 years and a lot of hard work and blood, sweat and tears to make that you want to borrow from me, do like 10 minutes of work to ask me for it, please. Like yeah. super basic. Yeah. You don't like, don't message me on Instagram. I have like, not even kidding you, like 700 messages in my Instagram hidden folder. Thank you, Pace, for putting me on YouTube and podcast because that's where it all came from, right? And people <laughs> here like, I'm going to hit him up. And a majority of those are, I need money. I need money. I need money. One person actually sent me a screenshot of a pitch deck. And guess what? I responded to them and I worked with them. It was, that's all it took. Like, just do a little bit of work. Show me your underwriting. Show me what your, you know, just, just do a little bit. Just at least give a one sheet. If you are willing to build a bigger pitch deck out, that's a couple pages that has a lot of information. Give us all the information you can, because I'm going to assess it for risk before I look at my reward, right? Like, oh, you're offering 15%. Super cool but I'm not even going to consider that until I see what you're actually pitching me. Right. Um, so that's, that's how I would start is, and, and if you know this person really, really well and you've developed a rapport and your friends, obviously it's different. Like you may not be like, Hey, you know, to like <laughs> my brother-in-law, like, Hey bro, here's a sweet pitch deck. I made you <laughs> he was like, Hey, I have a deal. I want to talk to you about, you know, potentially partnering with me. Um, now it also depends on who you're talking to, because if you're talking to someone who hasn't lent before, you know, it's more of like a raising private capital type talk, like, Hey, I can offer you double digit returns backed by a physical asset um, to make money on your money. That's just sitting there in the bank account uh, rather than someone who is like a savvy PML. who would be like, Hey dude, I have this super awesome deal. Here's if you want to come partner with me. If you want to talk about it sometime, let's chat about it. But that's like someone who I know really well. I'm not just going to yell. I'm going to at least put some work in on the front end and have either have answers to their questions or be willing to listen to the questions take some time to, to get those answers and get back to them. Like sometimes I have people who ask me for stuff, I ask them questions and they, they just ghost me. And it's like, okay, you weren't serious. So yeah. that's a good way to, you know, kind of weed people out too, is they don't respond to your questions. Was there any way like when, when someone pitched you a deal and they, they propose a term, but you're like, hmm, let me get creative and negotiate something super creative where it's still a win-win. Could you tell us about yes. that? Yeah. <laughs> I had a deal recently and this was, I mean, it's, it's not a real estate deal. It's a business deal. But I'm still going to talk about it yeah. Um, yeah. because there was a little bit more inherent risk involved. Um, it was, it was exchange, you know, capital contribution for exchange of equity um, or sorry. Yeah. My capital for exchange of equity in a business and the proposed terms to like get repaid on that because it's not, it's not so much a private lending you're not getting like a set interest rate, but you're going to get a set equity, which is then going to pay you cash flow, you know, on the quarterly distributions. And you're going to have equity in that company as it grows. It was essentially like a two and a half to three year break even point. So for me, it was like, okay, if I put say this hundred thousand dollars into this business, it's going to be three years until I even get my principal back. Then I'm going to start making money on top of that. Right. So my response was like, Hey, this seems like an awesome business. You seem like a super solid operator. I really want to work with you, but here's where I'm at with my risk assessment is I am waiting three years to get my money back, which for me is too long. And I typically wouldn't lend that long on a real estate deal. that's even backed by an actual asset. So if you're willing to give me a preferred return for the first 18 months, I'm happy to invest in this. Right. And there was a little bit more negotiation and it was, you know, um, more personalized to the person I was speaking to, yeah. but essentially we, they agreed like, yeah, there's so much 
cash flow in this business that your $100,000, we can actually pay you out in the first six months. So then your, your capital is back to you in six months. Like I just brought it up and they gave me a better term. And I was like, yeah, right. Like I brought it up tactfully and like, but if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. So, you know, six months is the, is the, the return on capital. And then after my hundred thousand dollars is back, then after that, I shift to a 20% equity position. And then I just get 20% of the cash flow for however it works. Right. But they were super interested in paying me back because you know what they thought was if we pay him back quicker, Next time we buy a business, who's going to lend to us? Yeah. This guy. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like I want to recycle that capital. The velocity of money is a thing and it's very big and it's on the forefront of my mind. And I want to get as much capital back as quick as I can to reuse it again. I want to yeah. recycle that capital as much as I can. And so if you're going to give me, you know, say I put in 500 grand into a business and you're going to pay me back in the first 18 months. So then after 18 months, I can put 500 grand to another business. And these are all, you know, potential, you know, I mean, you're talking about getting like heavy, heavy cash flow after three or four years because you've been able to buy into multiple businesses on the same capital. Mm-hmm. So that was a business example. Um, real estate example, I, I had one where I really, really, really liked the person who wanted to borrow money. Like they were sharp. They had done a couple deals. It was really good, but there was not enough equity to make me feel comfortable. And so I, you know, it wasn't much, wasn't much of a negotiation, but I essentially said like, Hey, I need more than it was like a 13%, um, fee, uh, interest rate, private money lend. I said, I need a little bit more to make me comfortable. And really my comfort, my, my, where I'm out of my comfort zone is my lack of control. If you default. So if you're willing to, I'd love to build a contract that shows I get 51% control on the operating agreement but my revenue share is equal to that same 13%. So you're paying me the same amount of money. Mm-hmm. I just get to be put on the operating agreement that if you were to, I mean, say worst case scenario, you get abducted by aliens. That up, Pace. Um, if you get abducted by aliens and now there's no one to take over this, I can legally come in and I can sell the house. I can change property management. I can evict tenants. I have the legal authority to come in and do that because I'm the one who has 51% on the operating agreement. Or if you don't want to create an entity together, you can at least spell out the terms in your JV agreement, right? Or you can co-own on title too. People don't know that you can actually have two different entities own on title. That's a thing. Um, it's not as easy. It takes more work, but like it's, it may, you might not want to marry someone as they say, by creating an actual entity together right away. Um, Cause then you're kind of stuck with each other for a while. Right. So that was a negotiation of purely having my, my risk be a little bit uh, mitigated by having control, but still the same amount of money. So they're still going to make the same amount of money, which is all they care about. They didn't care. They were like, hey, I'm down. Plus, it also gave me, I got the tax benefits from it, which was also a huge bonus to me because I'm all about that tax depreciation. So, and I explained that to that to them as well. I said, hey, if you know, we could split this and we get half and half on the tax depreciation. They didn't care about taxes. They just wanted the cash flow. I was like, yeah. cool. So it's just, I just brought it up in like a polite way. And like, and that's, that's negotiating from my side. I don't know if that's really helpful for people who are looking to borrow, but I guess, I guess the, 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 the kind of the, the crux of that is don't be afraid to get creative on what you can offer. It doesn't just have to be like, I want a hundred thousand dollars. It can be like, Hey, here's a hundred thousand dollars. I have, um, I want to bring you in for like 10% revenue share plus pay you 12%. You know, my goal is to, you know, balloon you out in this 12 month period because here's the exit plan. And, you know, I have another private lender who I can replace you with, or I can refinance, whatever it is, like, just make sure it's all spelled out. Um, 
and I can just think outside the box on ways, things that you can offer where it's not debilitating to you and it's still worth it to you. Because some people say like, you know, I'd rather have, you know, 50% of the pie than zero, right? And I totally agree with that. But at the same time, I think that if you are the one who found the deal, who's going to be doing all the work, who's going to be operating it, like you should, you should have what you thought you were going to get. And like, if you, now to me as a lender, my money's the most important thing in a deal to someone else as a deal finder who's operating it, they're the most important thing in the deal, right? So we kind of have conflicting paths as far as like our mindset goes. However, there's a way to satisfy both and work together. And that's really just by getting creative and figuring out how this can benefit you with lowering your risk and this still benefits me and I get what I wanted for doing all this upfront work. Yeah, and I think that you mentioned is, is really just asking. Um, as, the, as the lender, just really asking uh, what you would like because the worst that can happen is no, but the best thing that can happen is that the person may counter with even something better or come meet you at the middle ground. I've had a lender where um, they were interested in a deal, but they were straight up. They're like, hey, I just want tax benefits. And we're able to be proposed, hey, if you, if you want tax benefits, we'll give you a majority on, on the K-1 so you can benefit from that. And he didn't care about anything for cash flow. He's like, I can get 10%, but I want a lot of depreciation. We're like, we got you. We can do that. That's totally fine. And it just ask. It. Yes. Yeah. And just ask. And that's it. Like, and it's like, don't. Okay. This is going to sound really rough. But and my friends who are watching this are going to love it because I always say it to them. Only losers get offended. Don't get offended by people talking business with you. You can't take it personal. This is business. If I ask you a question, you cannot take it personal. It is purely about the money and the deal and the business, okay? And I know we talk about a lot about like private money lending is very relationship-based, but there's also the business side of it. And so you have to kind of separate those at the same time as having them together when it comes to, you know, asking for money and, and talking to people and making relationships. But when it comes to the actual business and the numbers talk, like people are going to ask you questions and ask things that you may not like. The response is whatever you feel professionally, like, you know what, I don't think I can do that right now. It doesn't make sense on my side of the numbers. Um, but if you're willing to like meet in the middle and do this one, like just, just talk about it. Like people like don't get offended. Like it's just business. Never take things personally here. Right. Unless someone borrows from you with the intent to commit fraud, then that's a whole other story. Right. But then, you know. <laughs> Definitely want to hear more about that. Right. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> so Kyle's asking, where does underwriting a deal come into play, and are certain factors more important than others to consider? Yes. So the moment I get a deal pitched to me, like I think we talked about earlier, like I'm betting the deal and the operator. So let's talk about the deal side of things. I'm going to underwrite it based on what the exit strategy is and what the alternate exit strategies could be. So if someone's buying something like, hey, this is going to be a short-term rental, if it doesn't work, guess what? It still breaks even after paying your private money lending portion as a long-term rental. So that's our fallback. Like that right there, psh, awesome. Like I underwrite everything as a long-term rental anyway. And if it works as a long-term rental, I'm fine for you trying other exit strategies. Like go on with your bad self. That's cool if you want to do that. Like I don't want to operate. You know, I have, I have, I operate some short-term rentals and like, I don't want to do that anymore. But if you want to do it, awesome. Um, so I'm going to underwrite it on my own, but I also want to have the person who's presented it to me, show me their numbers. I want to yeah. see how much expenses they're building in. So as a rule of thumb for me, and I've had a lot of long-term rentals over my life. So I have a, an actual understanding of how this works. I, unless I am self-managing, I build in 25% for expenses. 
that's me. Other people I hear building 15, 20. Okay. Like I wouldn't, wouldn't balk at 20 if someone said I have 20% expenses. Like, okay. But is it 20% expenses and you're breaking even, Ooh, you know, like how are you going to pay me type thing? Um, but underwriting the deal, I'm going to do on my own. I want to look at theirs. I'm going to build in my 25% expenses. I can underwrite it as a short-term, mid-term, long-term. I don't really know how to underwrite like that split stuff, but I also don't like that. That's just me. Um, when I had to write a business, it's the same thing. Like how much cash flow is actually left? Because my in a business, the collateral for me is cash flow, right? That's that's what I have. That's what SBA lenders lend on. They lend on cash flow, right? They lend on personal guarantees and cash flow of a business, right? So I kind of look at it from a similar standpoint of like how much equity is going to be in the deal, how protected is my money going to be, how solid is this operator, how much cash flow does this deal actually have? If everything goes wrong, what exit plan can we go to where I'm still going to be safe, right? And so I underwrite it right away. Um, I hopefully that answers Kyle's question. Like I want the borrower to underwrite it first, show me the numbers, and then I'm going to go do my own due diligence. For me, I can underwrite a deal in like five minutes. So like, just give me five minutes and I'll let you know what I think and I'll ask questions. Right. Um, but you know, there's, there's, there's things to look at from like their actual, you know, the rental comps or the actual comps of ARV comps, which everybody gets really kind of subjective with those. And so I look at those, you know, with a lot of scrutiny. Because if you can't sell the house for the ARV you think you're going to sell and your margins are already extremely tight, then I'm probably not going to lend to you, right? Um, Yeah, what we do usually is that we underwrite it as the worst case scenario. So like if you're going to be seeing our numbers, our numbers are the worst case. So We've had lenders shut us down because they they shut us down because we weren't over-promising. And we're like, we're just not a good fit. This is the worst case scenario. Your expenses are taken care of. Um, we were not going to cash flow. Your your money is being paid. And they're like, yeah, but what if? They're like, no. And I was like, listen, we're not going to tell you this is how much money we're going to make. And then we don't because we don't know. It was a short-term rental. But the yep. worst case scenario, if we make 5000 bucks, you're still paid and we don't cash flow. But you're covered. Yep. Totally. And I, I, I like that. I would, I'd love to see, I mean, like I said, that's kind of how I ask people, like, what's the worst case scenario that could happen? Can you tolerate it? Mm-hmm. But what's the worst case scenario with my money being at risk? Like, is it still going to, am I still going to get paid and I'm still going to be able to have a chance to get ballooned out? And if so, you know, I'm still going to look at it. Like you may be buying it because you have long-term potential, or maybe you're just buying it. Like, it's just buy stuff for taxes now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, sure. You know, some people just want to do that. But if I, if I, as a lender still get paid, there's still enough meat on the bone, you know, in my underwriting that, you know, after 25% expenses, it's still, it's still cash flowing well enough to cover me. And there's, you know, money aside for CapEx. And then also, I, this is getting into more, but like, say it's a long-term rental, like, it, you, is there an inspection done on it? Do you have a walkthrough? Like, is the furnace bad? Are you going to have some massive CapEx issue in the first year where my money's at risk, where you have to then use $10,000, $12,000, and now you have no way to pay me? Yeah. So, that, you know, I gotta, you got to look at that stuff as well. Um, that answered Kyle's question. Yes, good, good answer. That was a good question, Kyle. Thank you. Um, Ginny. I know, I don't know how to that name up. Great name. How do you pre-structure your promissory note to allow extending term, higher interest, and late fees? So the late fee, higher interest, any change of terms is something that 
that's subjective to the to the lender. Like you'll have to build in like, hey, you know, at 12 months is the is the balloon with a one option to extend for three months, right? That's that's typically what I've been doing is one option to extend for three months. Um, it's the same, same rate. I don't increase the interest rate. But if there's no extension and there's and it's late, late payments, and there's always like a five-day grace period for payments. Like say, like you have to pay me the first of the month, but like, oh, it's the fourth and you just pay me. Okay, cool, whatever. If you go beyond that you know, people will build in that amount of late fees per day. Some people build in $25 a day. So it's just painful enough for the person to be like, oh, shoot, I got to pay them or it's going to stack up the bills. Some people do less, but then it's like, well, it doesn't incentivize this person, right? I actually had one case recently where someone, it wasn't my lend. Um, the late fees were actually cheaper than the actual interest rate. And the borrower was like, well, I'm just going to pay late fees. I'm not going to extend with you because your late fees are cheaper than the, than the actual rate. Talk about a guaranteed way to make sure I never lend money to you because your name is circling out there. And if you're watching this, you know who you are. So good luck, you dumbass. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm like instant foreclosure. Like I am coming for you. I am coming for you and your assets. I'm going to, I am going to take you down because of such an insane, unprofessional thing to do. So yeah. with that said, that's like a worst case scenario thing. You should be ex having, you know, an option to extend for a certain amount of time you want. If you want to increase the rate because they didn't perform on time, that's up to you. It has to be written ahead of time. You can't come in later and say, I will extend, but it needs to be for this much more. That's, you can't do that. It has to all be laid out ahead of time. Like they say, like even in the private money lending world and in JV agreements and in promissory notes backed by deed of trust, you still have to have in the note every possible thing that could go wrong contingency wise and what happens. Plan, planning the divorce, as they say, right? Like when it goes wrong, here's what happens. Um, so a contract, a promissory note is a contract. You can literally write anything in a contract as long as it's not super ridiculous that an attorney that a, that a judge is going to be like this is not enforceable throw it out which which can happen um but you can put like someone i think it's pace like he has one where he's like when he goes to atlanta in his contract he has to get taken to dinner by the borrower every time he's in atlanta that's in his contract yeah. it's in the contract you can put whatever you want in there whatever. so pre-structuring to allow an extended term decide the term you're willing to go to ahead of time decide if you want to change it just straight ahead of time decide your daily late fees ahead of time because it's still you are still the goal from everybody should always be to get across the finish line right then the goal is to never like i'm gonna come screw you because you didn't pay me back on time like that's not a good business practice and you shouldn't be lending if that's your frame of mind you shouldn't be in this business if that's your if that's your mindset um just it, build it all out ahead of time however you want it to be and if they don't agree to it maybe you're not a good fit move on like let me tell you as a lender there is no shortage of supply of deals to lend on. So like, if you can't get what you want, it's within reason, yeah. then move on. And, and I like that what you just mentioned. This question just came to me like, do you do any form of personal guarantee? And in what situation do you do personal guarantee when you lend? I don't play with personal guarantees. I'm not lending money with the hopes of having to come take someone's house from them. And that's why I would never lend on someone's personal house. Side note for lenders, do not ever lend on someone's personal house. Are you going to be the one to go bring the sheriff to their house to kick them and their loved ones out because they didn't pay you? No, uh, my heart is not, I cannot do that. No way in heck would I ever do that. So mine is asset-based. 
It's asset-based lending. It's really what it is. Unless it's a partnership, then it may not be asset-based. Then it may be, you know, joint ventureship operating agreement terms-based where I'm protected because I have control, right? Um, also, I just like to tell people, don't lend on something that you wouldn't want to own yourself because you may end up owning it. Yeah. And finish the project. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is something that's actually happening right now with someone I know and it's a total nightmare. So to finish the entire project. Okay. Mike. Man, Mike asks, can you walk through yes. how a private money lender can be protected if they assume a second position on an asset? Yes. Love this question. This is one of the biggest things I talk about with lenders is making sure there's a big enough equity cushion. So quick example, for ease of numbers, I'm going to use the easy number to use. Say someone has a house that is worth $100,000. That's the appraised value. They have a current loan on it for $50,000. So currently the debt is 50% loan to value. They want you to come in and lend, say, $35,000, which then puts the total debt at $85,000 on a $100,000 house. So how much equity cushion percentage-wise are you left with? 15%. That is my threshold. I do not want to lend on things that do not have a 50% cushion if I'm in second position. I'll never lend in third or fourth. Always make sure that you're going through title and title is doing a search for liens on the property because I had someone recently who lent on a deal and they were in fifth position behind a tax lien which unfortunately in this country, tax liens can actually take priority over the first lien position because the government hates you. So <laughs> they, they want their money first, right? So I want to have a 15% equity cushion on a lot of these deals. Now that doesn't work for every deal, right? Like I can't, like, you're not going to borrow on, you're not going to borrow some deals that doesn't work. And especially like, what's the most common one that comes up to that? Flips. Yeah. I'm not lending on a flip where I'm in second position behind the hard money lender covering, say, gap lending, and then eventually I'm going to give them some draws for extra repair costs if they need it. Um, I am going to be lending in second position and really not having any equity cushion, but that's where the operator comes into bigger play. Like, has this operator flipped a bunch of houses and is going to perform? Because by the time they get it to the ARV, I'm going to have a huge cushion, right? And that's where the safety is. So that's just an example of that. But, um, like... I don't want to, I'm not going to bring up certain types of deals that I don't want to like crush anybody's hopes about getting lending on certain things. But like if someone wanted to borrow, because it's a second position only question. If someone wanted to borrow, you know, money on um, a deal, like just a sub two, let's just say a straight sub two, like, Hey, I need, you know, I need $25,000 to sub two, you know, I'm taking over a $200,000 loan. Um, you know, it's worth about like 220 and I need to give the realtor and the seller like $20,000 to, you know, make it go to, to, to entry fee, right? Oh gosh, my $20,000, the two debts are now sitting at 220. I'm like, oof. guess what happens if they default and the mortgage company forecloses foreclosure sales don't go for the actual assessed value. Sorry to tell you the bad news, but if you have a $200,000 house that's going to go all the way to foreclosure, hopefully you can figure out a way to get out of it before then or sell it before then. But let's just say worst case, you're in second position. And there's no real equity there other than the money you put in. It gets foreclosed on. It makes it all the way to foreclosure sale. Those don't sell for 100% value. So like it's probably going to sell at like 70 or less. Yeah. Yikes. Your money's toast. 
right? Mm -hmm. So you have to look at the actual amount of equity that's built in there. And if there's not equity, then it's all about betting the operator and making sure you stay on them to make sure they're performing or you bring your private money partner on and, and have them less, give them less risk by giving them some control. So in essence, you stay away from deals that has super, like no equity or extremely low. I do. That's just me. Because I've lent on them before, it, it, it hasn't gone well. So I'm speaking for personal experience <laughs> or I have no recourse. Like I don't have recourse. Like I'm, I'm in second position and you know, it's like, yeah, if everything goes bad, like I'm going to lose that money. And like, it's just, I had to take it as a learning lesson. Right. And like I said, luckily I haven't had any, I've lost some money, but I haven't lost a lot. Nothing that's crippled me. So hopefully it stays that way. <laughs> Man, like this is good. Like, Everyone has been like super engaged in the chat. Like, it's a, it's a oh, I can't see the chat. <laughs> oh, like yeah, there's so much. You, you're getting so much love. People want yeah. to know how to connect with you and they want to thank you. And oh my gosh, there's so much love. There's so much love. Awesome. There my... Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, there is too, there's like a really good question that I want I want to do. If we're going to do one more, yeah. maybe two more. Sure. Uh, let me see if I can find it because I was just looking at all of these. Um, Mike, can you elaborate on asset-based? Yeah, Mike, it's it's the, the property itself, the equity in the property, right? I'm lending based on the actual, you know, how secure is my money going to be in the deal I'm lending on? Because not talking about business stuff, but for real estate, it's all backed by the house, right? It's backed by the asset. Um, that's all I mean. Asset based meaning like I'm gonna I'm gonna lend on how much equity is there, how much potential for the operator to succeed in what they're doing. Um, but my my uh, recourse is gonna be asset based. I'm not gonna come after you for you know defaulting on it. I'm gonna come after the property. And if there's not enough equity in the property, well, that's my fault for lending on something that doesn't have equity. And the last question that we're gonna take today is: Would you rather have equity in the deal as a LP? GP or just collect only interest till balloon out? Well, so the LPGP, you know, is, is, is really, is separate from private money lending because that's really, you know, I, I'm assuming they're probably talking about, you know, syndications and like I'm a GP mm -hmm. on a deal where we brought in other investors, right? I'm an LP on some deals because instead of, you know, private money lending, I don't get tax benefits on, right? That's an active income. So like if you're lending out, you know, a million dollars a year at like 10% and making a hundred grand a year, that's a hundred grand that's taxed. Like I don't have any tax benefits. So I do drop stuff into syndications because I want those. And then, you know, these people are doing cost segregation. So I'm getting that fat K1, you know, I think I lost on paper like 150 grand from my syndications this year. And I'm just like, yeah, baby. Because we know I'm not really losing money. It's just took yeah. to the IRS, I'm losing money. Um, so that's awesome. So I would like to have, I mean, this is totally subjective to the person who's lending money. Like some people, if you're trying to raise capital for a multifamily deal, like you can pitch it as like, hey, it's, uh, you know, whatever, you know, let's just say it's an 8% preferred return that you're getting paid, plus you're getting the tax benefits, plus the internal rate of return is projected to be 20% with an equity multiplier of two, like over four or five years. It's like, you're going to double your money, make a 20% internal rate of return over five years and get tax benefits. Like that's good. 
This is why people invest in syndication because that is a good return and it's safer depending on who the operator is. I've had some people, well, very well-known <laughs> people who put a lot of money into syndications and it, and that sucks. But obviously it's, it, that's why it's very important to go off someone who has a history of performing, right? Um, so yeah, for Raphael, both. Uh, I, I love to be a GP because I get, you know, more upside on, on like actual acquisition, you know, fees, management fees, just cool. And then, you know, I still get my tax stuff and on exit, I'll make some money. LP is great because I get, you know, to drop it in and be completely passive, which is really my goal now is to spend as much time as I can with my family. That's my priority. Everything else can, I don't care. It's my family and that's it. And this stuff is just the fun side for me, right? And then for interest only in balloons, that's just my private money lending side of thing where I get money back quicker. And that's the velocity of capital. My velocity of capital as an LP doesn't really exist because my money's probably sitting there for five years. My velocity of capital as a private money lender does. So every penny I make lending out, you know, $100,000 say, I can take it and reinvest it again the next year. And, re and like a lot of the times I, I do deals that are like three to six months. So every three to six months, I've made, you know, some money and then I go and I invest that whole chunk again. And then I invest that whole chunk again. And it's crazy how fast that compounds when you just do it over and over, like leaving money. I had a call with an SBA lender for a business today and he was talking about like liquidity. And I was like, I don't have any money in the bank. Like, why would I put money in the bank? Like, that's the stupidest thing I could ever do. I would leave money in the bank so the bank can go leverage it and make money off of me. No, thank you. I'm going to make money for myself. So, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I think this is like, I, I, I can relate to everyone in the chat saying like this call is very, very um, informative. Like you drop a ton of stuff and you are like surface level, you know, like you touch yeah. on to figure out the rest, how to underwrite, what to look for, your criteria, like you touch on a little bit of everything. And that's what we like when our guests come on our shows, like really break things down. Don't give like broad things. You need to give an example of a deal for it to take a lot of time. Like give us all the juice <laughs> because we're here. We're all about raising capital and how people can invest, but also giving them clarity. So it was so amazing having you on, on this show, Wes. And I know we're definitely going to have you on again. Um, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this was so good. But for persons who want to get in touch with you, how can they find you, connect with you, whether it's social media, email, whatever it is? Yeah. So I'm going to do a much better job of actually checking my, for some reason, maybe it's because I'm old. They old 41 year old over here. All my friends say I'm old. I cannot figure out how to get my Instagram messages to not go to the hidden folder. So if someone knows how to do that, like hit me up and let me know. I just can't. Like they all go to the hidden folder. And I'm like, come on. I want to see these messages. But I would say message me on Instagram. I am making a point of checking my hidden folder every few days because I always miss stuff. And I hate not replying to people. I'm not ghosting you. I always respond. I apologize if you messaged me a long time ago. Sometimes they get deleted if you don't respond quick enough. So I'm like – there's people who probably just think I'm a big jerk and never responded to them. That's not the case. So my Instagram handle is Wesley Grant underscore 21. Reach out to me on there. Um, shoot me a message on there. That's really the easiest way. Um, Facebook. I'm, I think, I think I'm on, I might just be West Grant on Facebook, but if you DM me on there, those, those show up more um, than IG does for some reason. Um, those are really the two best ways. And like, yeah, reach out really for anything. Like I said, like I'm really trying to prioritize helping other people lend securely and safely and understand all the nuance that comes with every type of deal. 
and like help them kind of assess their own risk profile. Um, and like, I don't want anything out of that. I'm just trying to give value. Like, that's it. I love helping people. Like I have a, you know, my, my mother, you know, God bless her soul. She really instilled into me, like giving other people value, like gives me self-worth feeling. And it's like, I just love it. Like, I love anytime someone says like, oh my gosh, you helped me. I'm just like, yes. Like inside, I like, you know, I get more alive. And so, um, I am, someone had mentioned something about like a Zoom series. I am working on some sort of Zoom series to kind of help assess deals and be able to answer questions. Um, it's kind of in the works, but you know, I'll, I'll be posting about that on social media when it comes, when the time comes. Yeah. I just wrote about I'm like, I wonder if we can do an episode where we bring on a few persons, like do an activity just to figure out um, what your risk um, tolerance is. And we just do a whole guide. Oh, I love that. Yes. I'm yes. here for well, it. You guys here first with, um, with Wesley, you guys. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Stay <do> updated. <laughs> All right. Well, yes, I was going to say, you know, thank you so much to all our viewers. Thank you, Wesley, for being here um, to our viewers. You guys were amazing. Um, we really, really appreciate all the love and all the comments. It just helps us. Um, more people get more. Um, let us let them know about us, you know, and what we're doing, because we're our mission. Our goal is just to let people know how to invest in real estate in a secured asset, physical asset. Like Wesley said, we are very, very excited for what we're doing and what's coming up next. And um, yeah, we're just we're here and we're available on all major platforms. That is very true. You guys um, can listen to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and Google. So whether you are looking to finance your next project, expand a new business, do a new venture, we hope that this episode gave you insights, strategies, and tips so that you guys can raise capital and invest with purpose. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Wes. Thanks, guys. Thank you.